This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Podcast is getting old. 40 episodes young today. We get to a year. I don't know, we get to a year. Maybe at 50. We'll do like some sort of 50th episode extravaganza. Although, knowing me, I'll, I'll probably lose track of things and it will be episode 51 by the time I pick up on it. But uh, thanks to all of you that have helped make Play by Play Cast a success to this point, that have subscribed, downloaded, rated, reviewed, shared, talked about on social media, told your friends, all of those things, and allowed us to bring now 40 episodes and 40 interviews uh, detailing the lives, times, careers, uh, perspectives, processes, preparation, experiences of play-by-play broadcasters from really across the spectrum to you over the course of the last nine, ten months almost now at this point. Uh, So thank you. Uh, sincerely. Uh, my name is Joel Godet. This is, of course, the play-by-play cast, the podcast for bri- uh, play-by-play broadcasters, about play-by-play broadcasters by a play-by-play broadcaster. And if you're a play-by-play broadcaster, this is a great time of year. <laughs> it is a hectic time of year. I'm recording this with seven minutes and 20 seconds left in the last game of Thursday. Uh Number two, Arizona taking on 15 seed North Dakota right now. They're up by 19, 80, 61. I was so close, folks. I keep a, I, I do a bracket for myself. I don't enter it in anything. Uh, there's NCAA rules and ethical deals with all that. Uh, but do it just to keep track of things myself. I was almost perfect today. Dang it, Virginia Tech. I had Vodtech over Wisconsin. I was the only one I got wrong. Unless North Dakota makes some sort of miraculous comeback. But uh, I don't want to brag. Plenty more time to burn down the rest of the bracket. But for now, <laughs> we're doing doing really okay. Uh, busy time of year, though. Called our men's team in the CIT on Wednesday night. That was at Fort Wayne. Uh, brought our season to an end at Ball State. Uh, shot some video and uh, did some coverage of our women's team in the WNIT Thursday night. That brought their season to a close. And then our gymnastics conference championships, uh, likely covering that on Saturday. So uh, a lot going on. And, of course, that's after I spent a week in Cleveland for our conference basketball championships, men's and women's, last week as well. It's a fun time of year to be a broadcaster. This is what college broadcasters live for. And if you're gearing up for a minor league baseball season, enjoy your preparation. This is kind of a fun time as well. The weather, you know, I would say the weather starts to turn, but it was 18 this morning when I was out shooting video of spring football, but I, it's starting-ish to become baseball weather. It's just a fun time of year for a sports fan, fun time of year for a sports broadcaster uh, here with March. That being said, it brings us to today's guest on the podcast. Uh, Bob Harris is the longtime voice, 40-plus year voice of the Duke Blue Devils, And he, this weekend, is beginning to call his last ever March Madness. Retiring at the end of the year, so this is it for Bob Harris. 
pulling for the two seed Duke to give him uh, the best run they can here on the way out. But uh, Bob is a tremendous kind of story of how he got to where he is. Uh, basically grew up in rural North Carolina. Father worked in a cotton mill. Uh, and of course, Bob listened to Vin Scully because who didn't? Uh, <laughs> growing up, uh, Bob listened to Brooklyn Dodger games on clear nights, would get them on the radio. And uh, he'll detail his falling in love with the medium and how he, uh, in some ways, kind of falling into uh, the profession. He got into sales and local radio sales and local radio and then wound up on color at Duke and then wound up on play-by-play at Duke and really has kind of run from there. I'll let him do the explaining of it, but that's the, the real quick gist of it. But a good conversation with Bob that covers anything from Duke football, talk about the ups and downs of covering that team, uh, we talk a lot about Duke basketball, obviously, watching the growth of that team. Uh, basically, growing up with Coach K, the two were kind of hired around the same time. Bob's been at Duke a little bit longer, but uh, they obviously have a phenomenal relationship. And Bob kind of gives us a, a little bit of a different look at who Coach K is in this conversation. Uh, we'll talk about the shot, Christian Leitner's shot to beat Kentucky, uh, what Bob Harris was thinking in that moment, how he recalls that play to this day, whether or not he likes the call to this day, and there's a really neat anecdote in there about that. Uh, but I think what's most interesting, and he'll touch on this, is the preparation that went into that play, not for Christian Leitner and Grant Hill, but for Bob Harris. And not that he knew it was coming, but that he had a kind of idea of what Coach K was looking to do in that moment, uh, based on preparation. And you know, they, good luck is where preparation meets opportunity, and Bob Harris prepared, opportunity there, uh, able to, to put a, a nice call on one of the nicer moments in college basketball history and certainly March Madness history. Uh, some perspective for you before we hit start here. We taped this, and I said this earlier a couple episodes ago on the podcast, we taped this the day after senior day for Duke which means the last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, which means it was Bob Harris's last broadcast inside Cameron Indoor, which was kind of cool from my perspective. I don't know if we were the first interview he did uh, after that, but we may very well be the, the first kind of guy to sit down and uh, be retrospective with Bob Harris about his career after he got up from the table for his last broadcast at Cameron Indoor. So uh, that's where we start our conversation. His last broadcast at Cameron Indoor Stadium, the night before we taped this podcast. Bob Harris is the voice of the Duke Blue Devils, and he is guest number 40. Well, episode number 40, guest number 39 here on Play by Playcast. I didn't realize we were doing the, the interview the day after your very last game at home. Uh, so, yes. so in the immediate <laughs> aftermath, what's it like now realizing that you've called your final game inside Cameron Indoor? Well, you know, it's, it's nostalgic. Uh, you know, I, it ended up, uh, kind of like I wanted it to, you know, with a win. So uh, <laughs> that made it a whole lot easier. And, uh, my two cohorts, uh, John Roth and John Rose, uh, had the whole thing planned to do at the end of the, uh, post game, uh, broadcast. And, uh, that was really nice. They uh, they had a montage of uh, some of my best calls down through the years, and uh, the, the IMG people put that together, I think. And 
it was just um it was really good i had my uh my daughter and son-in-law came up to the uh to the crow's nest and uh were there with me during the whole post game well most of the post game and that made it even more special uh my wife doesn't climb stairs well so uh she stayed with a friend of ours uh, in the seats and uh, but it was just uh it was really a nice way to to finish it up i thought and I'll tell you what, I had a, a ton of people come up to the uh, the Crow's Nest before the game and just to, uh, you know, shake my hand and say thank you. And a couple of them wanted to get autographs, and uh, we did that. A couple of them made pictures, and uh, even one had one man who was in his, I guess, uh, maybe early 60s, and uh, he broke down and cried. And that was <laughs> that was kind of emotional right there. But, uh, you know, things like that happen. And uh, I, that that really made me feel, you know, that that these 41 years. I mean, I know, I know how gratifying they are to and were to me, but to the listeners, and that's that makes it even better. Is that crazy when you think about it? Um, for 41 years, you've been doing this, so there's a large swath of Duke fans that identify you and only you more than anybody else with that university. Um, have you taken the step back to realize kind of what you mean to a a large swath of people? Well, I I don't think I've had to step back because uh, for, well, since uh, last July when we announced uh, my retirement, uh, I mean, I've had people, you know, they they flooded Twitter and and that. I got a lot of emails, uh, some phone calls, uh, even then uh, about it. And it's just kind of been a, you know, a trickle, a trickle up, uh, if you will. Uh, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger as the season has gone on. And I haven't even looked this morning at uh, in my Twitter account to see, but uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> I can't wait to see the uh, the results at the end of the week and see what uh, what kind of numbers it put up there. I know um, after the uh, uh, the uh, they did a night for me back in January when we played Georgia Tech. And the two days uh, after that, there was, I think it was something close to 8,000 uh, hits on uh, Twitter. And uh, that made me feel really good. And so this one, and uh, people were starting uh, even you know, early in the week uh, about it. And uh, yesterday, was just, I mean, it was just full. And uh, I didn't even have time to, to read the majority of them, but I will today and tomorrow. And then thankfully uh, I can keep it and uh, go back to it anytime I, I really would like to, would have the time to do it. But, uh, you know, when you're in a, a situation like we are and you don't get that much time between games and you're prepping and, and things like that, um, it, I think some of that kind of goes over your head because you're, you're not really concentrating on what that is, sure. but more so what your job is coming uh, uh, in the next couple of days. And, you know, we've got an extra day having played on Tuesday night, but, uh, you know, before we play at North Carolina on Saturday. But, you know, I've already started my, my prep for that, and so we'll see see how that goes. There's a very few number of people that are are uniquely qualified to answer this next question. Um, And it was something, uh, you know, we've had Bill Hillgrove and Rich Chavotkin on, and and it's a similar kind of line of thinking. Uh, You're uniquely qualified to talk about history in a certain way because you've been able to see a lot of it firsthand at Duke. Um, You know, people that are in in my shoes or even, you you know, 
have been doing this for, for a good deal of time, can talk about things from what they hear from people, from what they read, how they research things themselves. But what's it like to, to be the voice of an institution for 41 years and be able to think about things and reference things and reminisce in things um, and tell stories from having that firsthand account of what it was like um, and, and the bond that that creates to the place and uh, the, the way it allows you to tell some stories? Well, you know, I, to, to kind of start from the beginning on that, I kind of fell into this Duke job because uh, I came to Durham in 1975. Actually, I came Labor Day of 75 uh, to sell radio advertising for the flagship station, WDNC. And um, while the since not very many people was in the office on Labor Day, uh, the, the boss was giving me a little tour of the station, and uh, he uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, "Yeah, oh by the way, uh, you're going to do a uh, one-hour call-in sports talk show starting on Sunday night, and do it on Sunday nights." And I thought, "Wait a minute, I've never done a call-in talk show of any sort, much less a sports talk show," and so. But, uh, you know, we went on the air with it, and uh, it lasted until, I guess, uh, in the early 80s when I uh, had to change stations because the network had changed. And uh, but then when we came back, they didn't want to do it anymore, so that was fine with me. Uh, but, you know, being able to, to fall back on being there for certain events, you know, where, as you said, other people read about it or... Uh, things like that, they don't really experience it firsthand. But uh, I, I think that the, the piece of, uh, of uh, audio that the uh, that my guys did for me last night uh, near the close of the broadcast, I mean, they went back and had uh, had some of my early, early, early calls. I remember one, uh, Gene Banks' senior game, he and Kenny Denard and Gene, uh, Jim Sutter, uh, and that was uh, 1980. And uh, those guys really, uh, you know, they were they were and still are a, a very tight group. But uh, uh, we we're playing North Carolina the last game at home, and uh, they're they're ahead by one, and uh, we uh, get a pass to midcourt, call a timeout, and uh, they they call the play, and uh, Denard inbounds it to uh, the top of the circle to Banks, and he's got Sam Perkins right in his face. I mean, Sam was about four inches taller than Gene was. But Gene went up, faded away, shot a high-arching shot over his outstretched arms, and it went in. And we won by one. And that was, I think, the start, for me, of the Duke-Carolina rivalry. Because uh, to see the emotion, I mean, the, the students just flooded the court. That was one of the first times I had seen that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was just, uh, it was an amazing thing, um, you know, and getting to go and do a uh, do a Final Four and a National Championship game my third year at Duke in 1978, I mean, that was, that was unreal as well. And to uh, have now 13 Final Fours uh, that I've broadcast and, uh, you know, the, the championship games and the, the five uh, NCAA championships that, that Duke has won and to be on the floor after those things happened, uh, it's just unbelievable. And, and a couple of times being able to cut down a piece of the net myself That's and cool. uh, that made it all, all the more special for that. But, you know, when you're, <clears throat> you're around that, that, uh, that long, um, people, um, some of those who are, <clears throat> excuse me, 
who are of the age, um, they don't remember anybody else doing the games but me. And if you're uh, if you're under 45, I know you don't, <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> most people don't remember things like that when they're three years old. So, <laughs> but um, and even the some of the older folks, and uh, you know they remember two or three other people that had the job before I did, and uh, you know it's we're tied together, and uh, you know that to me is. Uh, you know, just a wonderful thing to to be able to to bond with uh, with people who uh, just love Duke University. They love Duke basketball and football and all the other sports, really. But uh, those those big two are, are the main ones that uh, that get the most attention, of course. And uh, but just to be able to interact with those people, you know, on a road trip or something like that, when we're going to uh, the regionals or things like that. A lot of those people travel with the, uh, the, the official party. And, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of great people. And uh, I tell people a lot of times, you know, I sit on a plane, you know, and rub elbows with a guy who's worth $40 million. And I can't even <laughs> fathom what that is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, but but that's not what it's all about. That's just a little side sidebar thing there. But to to be able to interact, and I know I got an email late yesterday afternoon from a, a former football player um, who wanted to be at the game last night but couldn't, but he's coming down uh, for a, another function, and he said, I hope you'll be there because i got to give you a big hug and uh, thank you for everything you've done for us. I mean, here's a guy who's in his uh, in his mid-50s or so, and, uh, you know, to still remember you know, the good times they had when they were in, in college and uh, – to be at a at a great institution like Duke, it's just uh, it's fantastic. I tell people, as a matter of fact, I told our athletic director last fall we were standing watching the football practice one day, and one of our players had been recognized for uh, some accomplishments in the in the uh, community. And I looked at the AD and I said, uh, Kevin, I'm going to tell you something right now. You may not believe it, but I think it's true. I said, uh, you know, there are very few men in my profession that can say this but when i i don't have to worry when i get up in the mornings i don't have to check the the newspaper the police blotter and see which of our players got arrested the night before mm. when i put a microphone in front of them i don't have to worry about what they're going to say but more importantly how they're going to say it mm-hmm. and he looked at me had a kind of a, a whimsical look on his face and he said you know you're exactly right. I hadn't thought about that, but you are exactly right. And I said, absolutely. And that's uh, that's been the great thing about it. You know, the kids are they're so intelligent. They're you know they most all of them have a great sense of humor, and uh, we we have bonded. And you know, when you've got 115 or 20 football players, it's hard to get to know all of them. But you know, I know them by face, and they know me, and uh, you know so. It's a, it's a great relationship there. Football, I mean, basketball is a lot different because you have, you know, some years we've had 12, and now this year we've got 16. And, you know, um, but still, they, they are all great friends. And, you know, I see them in the hallway before a game or whatever. They give me a fist bump, you know, and, you know, have a good call tonight, Mr. Harris, and things like that. That's, you know, that's a great relationship. And that's uh, that's the thing I'm so proud of. I saw an interview where you basically called yourself a fan with a microphone. 
Uh, that's yeah. the, there's no difference between the fans and, and you. It's just that you have the microphone. Uh, and exactly. I love that. I love that mentality from a broadcast standpoint, uh, <clears throat> especially because I feel like the younger of us uh, go into this with such a regimented mindset of this is what we have to be to be successful on air. You have to do this. You have to be that. Uh, and sometimes in that it gets lost um, because you're trying to be the play-by-play robot and not the fan with a microphone. Um, walk me through your mentality and your approach and, and who you are on air and, and how that's come to work for you. Well, uh, to take your last uh, statement first, uh, I am who I am on and off the microphone. Um, I grew up in a, in a cotton mill town of 12,000 people uh, in the 40s and 50s. And uh, we lived, I could have thrown a rock and hit the mill that my dad worked in for 55 years. I uh, got to work down there for uh, four summers while I was out of school. And, uh, you know, I, I respect my upbringing. I respect the things. Uh, my dad uh, was born in 1904, and uh, he only went to school 15 days or roughly 15 days. And uh, in those days, uh, coming from a, uh, a rural family, uh, a farming family, uh, they started school on uh, the middle of uh, middle of August, and come Labor Day, uh, they shut the schools down so that the kids could stay home and help uh, gather in the crops and do whatever they had to do on the farm. So my dad went to school those first 15 days, and when it came time to uh, go back to work, uh, go back to school, I should say, he didn't go. And he worked a couple of odd jobs. He was a uh, a, a little helper for a uh, uh, for the cooks that uh, uh, surveyed out uh, one of the huge lakes uh, down in Stanley County. And then he went to work in the cotton mill and, and, uh, when he was 12 years old. And uh, he retired at age uh, 67 because uh, he had to give he wanted to give two extra years to get you know my mother on full. Uh, retirement and all that stuff. She uh, she never worked, but you know, coming up from that uh, that background, um, you have to be who you are, and I think that's the biggest thing that that I tell everybody. Don't try to emulate any other broadcaster that you've listened to, because you can't do it. You come off as a as a fake, and I have never tried. I've never used the you know, the cliches and things like that that some of the others do. I've, you know, kind of invented a few, I think. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's that's just the way it is. I'm me, and uh, I, I don't want to be anybody else or be like anybody else or the second coming of anybody else. That's just, you know, that's just not me. And uh, But I've seen some guys that, that try their best to do it, and they can't. And uh, it's uh, they, they come off... Um, looking badly i think but uh that's the the uh the advice i give to to all young people that i talk to and and try to mentor at times and i've got i've got nine guys right now that i've worked with uh, some of them since they were sophomores in high school and and that one particular guy uh went to went to college and graduated he did sports all during those times and now he is working for duke and he does the baseball games, he does uh, lacrosse, he does uh, he does the uh, uh, some of the other spring sports, and he's just loving it. And uh, he's doing women's basketball now as well. So you know things work out for you if you uh, if you try to do it the right way. And 
and I just, I'm just so happy with him. I got one, uh, two guys that are in uh, doing minor league baseball, and uh, you know they call me from time to time or send me tapes. And, you know, can you can you listen to this and critique me and things like that? And I, you know, I'm so happy to do that that they trust me and that they want to to get my opinion of what they're doing and how they're doing it. How did you fall in love with radio? Uh, I I read that you could you could catch Brooklyn Dodger games so uh, yeah so I guess it all comes back to Scully at some point uh, for everybody um, but but yeah. when, when did you fall in love with it with radio and and really develop a passion for it that it became something that uh, in, in some way and I know that we we kind of touched on getting into the sales and doing the talk show and and all of the different paths you took but that it became a passion that at some point uh, you wanted to pursue. Well, I guess growing up in the era that I did, we didn't have television. Uh, we didn't have television until 1952 or three, somewhere along in there. And, you know, being, I was born in 1942, so I was 10 or 11 years old before we had a television. And we listened to the radio all the time. And I grew up listening to Amos and Andy and, uh, you know, all sorts of the radio shows in those days. And, and we got our sports. What little there were on the radio, we could tune in and you get a one of the ACC teams on Saturday afternoon playing football, or uh, you might be able to pick it up if you turned your radio in the right direction to pick up a, f- a basketball game in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I just enjoyed sports. My daddy loved sports. He never played, but uh, he loved it. Uh, he uh, always said he wanted me to be a, a Major League Baseball player. Well, I couldn't hit the curveball. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, wanted me to be a preacher. Uh, and I won't tell you what I couldn't do there, but uh, anyway. <laughs> no, it was, you know, I, I tell somebody jokingly, you know, that I combine the two, uh, I kind of, I kind of preach a little bit for, uh, for sports, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's something that I think you have to really, um, have a passion for. And I did, and I don't know how it developed. Um, I was not a, uh, an athlete, uh, per se I, I played little league baseball for three years and uh, the uh, the next level I played uh, for one year and started playing you know some softball I played uh, I asked Johnny Bench a couple of uh, years ago we were doing a charity golf tournament out in Kentucky and I said JV when did you catch your first game and he told me and I said I caught my first one when I was 10 I said when did you catch your last one he said 38 when I retired I said I caught my last game at age 55 it was a slow pitch softball game, but I still <laughs> spotted and caught. But uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, those things, you know, you they just get in your blood. I think I, I can't you know, give you one instance that I knew that I wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, I had uh, I'd kind of given up on the idea of doing anything like that. Uh, the only time I'd been behind a microphone was my senior year in high school when I did the PA for basketball, and then uh, two summers uh, for my church, we had uh, Youth Week, and I was the Youth Week pastor two years, and so I got to do the sermon one year and uh, do the rest of it uh, the first year. But, you know, that's the only experience I'd had. And uh, after, I was in Goodyear for five years in the retail stores division, Hmm. and I moved back to Albemarle because I just didn't want to move around. Uh, I was in five cities, uh, four cities in the five years, and I could see another move coming within probably six to eight weeks. And uh, so I said, you know, I just can't do this to my family. So we moved back to Albemarle from Charleston, South Carolina. 
And um, I took a job with a friend of mine who uh, was manager of an insurance company. And in the course of that, um, late uh, July, early August, I ran into the manager of one of the two radio stations in town. We were downtown, and I just we stopped and talked for a few minutes. And finally, I said, are you going to uh, carry uh, high school football this fall like you have always? He said, no. The man that had done the play-by-play for him uh, did it freelance, and his company uh, gave him a promotion, and he didn't have the time to do it. And I don't know why the good Lord put the words in my mouth, and I just I just blurted out, I'll do them for you. He took me up on it. He took me up on it. So uh, I went to the radio station uh, uh, the afternoon of the the first broadcast. And being a 250-watt daytime radio station, that entails uh, 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 taping the games at night and rebroadcasting them the next day. So I got uh, they gave me a big old Ampex 601 reel-to-reel tape recorder, which I have (laughs) in my... uh, (laughs) <laughs> in my my souvenir room, shall we say? And um, would it still work if you tried it? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, wow. it still works. <laughs> All right. I uh, I carried uh, that and uh, a microphone, and uh, went with two uh, two of the high school kids who were working as interns at the radio station. And we went out to West Stanley High School, and I did my first broadcast, and. Uh, I, I knew that uh, that was something I really liked. As a matter of fact, the uh, the next morning when they played it on the radio, my family and I were sitting and you know around the, the radio listening to it. And when it got uh, the, the broadcast finished, my phone rang, and I went and answered it. And the first words out of the man's mouth was, "If there's anything I hate, it's a liar." And I said, "What are you talking about?" It was the manager of the station. He said, "You told me that you'd been down in South Carolina working for Goodyear when all the time you've been doing play-by-play in South Carolina." <laughs> I said, "No," <laughs> but he said, "Well, you did a great job." And uh, they—I um, I thought that that was going to be the, that, that season would be the end of it because the insurance people that I was working for didn't like the fact that I was accepting. Uh, remuneration from another source and so but they did let me finish and the last game we were playing down in Anson County and when I was uh, wrapping up the equipment and getting ready I cried I really literally cried because I knew that was something I wanted to do and that I felt that I wasn't going to get to do it anymore but uh, it worked out the the radio station uh, needed to to keep a sports uh, face out there and uh so they uh, they hired me the first of uh, March that next year, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I was there for eight years and uh, got a chance to come to Durham and uh, do the uh, do the sales dig and uh, go on from there. But uh, it's been a you know kind of a, a dream, and because uh, when when guys ask me, you know, well, how, how did you get the Duke job? I say you don't want to know because you couldn't get it the way I did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they were Duke was using a guest color commentator for the football analyst uh, position that that year in '75, and um, I had talked to their SID, who was kind of running the network at that time, and I asked him if there'd be anything that I could do to keep my finger in the sport, you know, and you know, keeping stats or spotting or anything. And he said, no, they had those positions filled. He said, but we're going to use this guest color commentator uh, thing. And uh, it's former players, you know, who live in the areas where we're going to be playing. And we'll try to get you on one game late in the season. And I'm thinking, OK, 
okay, 250-watt daytime radio station, a town of 12,500 people. I didn't have a whole lot of chance to get that job. <laughs> and uh, But after about three games, they found that it wasn't working because there was never any cohesiveness between the analyst and the play-by-play man. And so they asked me if I would do the Clemson game, and then they went on the road for two, and then uh, I did the Wake Forest game uh, in Winston-Salem and the Duke Carolina games uh, game and uh, the Duke State game uh, at home. And uh, they wanted me to do uh, basketball with him as well, and so I started doing color on basketball. And I ended up, I did four games at the old uh, uh, Big Four Challenge over in Greensboro that December and because he was sick. And then I filled in for him one other time when he was getting uh, the Hot Stove League Award over in Raleigh. And then come uh, the 1st of February, um, he got sick and uh, couldn't go to Maryland. And so uh, I drove up with the uh, engineer who was a senior at Duke. And we did the game uh, that Saturday. And the uh, the AD told me afterwards, uh, he said, I think I probably want to talk to you uh, the first of the week. So sure enough, uh, he called me in and said that the, uh, the play-by-play guy was going to have to go into the uh, hospital. He had been very sick. And uh, so I finished out the season, and he retired that uh, that spring, and they offered me the job. And to use the current vernacular, in about a third of a nanosecond, I said yes. <laughs> so that's that's how I got it. And um, you know, you you kind of know your uh, your own test grounds because uh, there Duke University. I mean, come on, you know that's a prestigious school, and I'm sure there are a lot of guys that would love to have that job. But um, I managed to, to stake my territory and, uh, and not let anybody jump in on me. And, uh, and it's, it's been a, a real joy for, uh, for 41 years after that. And uh, it's just, uh, I don't know how else I can describe it. It's just maybe just a dream. And uh, it's just been so good. How did you get good at it? Uh, how did you teach yourself how to do it? Uh, how did you, I mean, you, you talked about having guys you've mentored over the years send stuff back to you now, um, but how did that all work when you were coming up in terms of getting feedback, getting opinions, uh, listening to yourself, learning what to do? Uh, take me on your process of, of how you improved over the years. Well, you know, having grown up listening to radio, I kind of caught, you know, some of the ways that people were doing things, the things that the descriptive terms that they were using. But um, I guess uh, working through that process and being able, uh, even in Albemarle, we had a uh, North Carolina Sports Broadcasters Association, and I was the uh, treasurer of it. And uh, we got involved with the uh, National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association, which has since changed its name uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But um, being there in Albemarle and the uh, the North Carolina or uh, the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Organization uh, was headquartered in Salisbury, which was thirty miles up the road. Mm. And being that close, they knew I could help. You know, the liaison between the two, and we uh, we did a great job with that. And I got to meet a lot of people there because they brought in. You know, I mean, Kurt Gowdy came, Chris Schenkel came, and. You know, all the, the national people, the writers and everything, came to the to Salisbury for that one weekend uh, for the banquet and the induction into the uh, Hall of Fame and things like that. And um, so one afternoon, uh, I just happened to run into to Schenkel, and we were we both had some time, and we sat and talked for a little bit. 
And I said, I just want to pick your brain just for a little bit. So we talked for a while. And he said, what is your ultimate goal, Bob? And I said, well, I'd love to have a job like yours. Mm-hmm. But I, and I know I've got to work and, and learn everything. He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, uh, do you know how many nights I have spent in my own bed at home since January 1st? And this was like, and I said, no. He said, three. I said, my God. <laughs> I don't know whether I can do that or not. He said, then don't. Find your niche and do the best job you can wherever you're going to be. He said, it's not all about being in New York or you know, Los Angeles or whatever or being on a network show. It's about you being satisfied with who you are and the job that you're doing and enjoying it. And I said, you know, that's a good idea. And I think that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, after I got the job at Duke, um, I had several other job offers around, and uh, but it, it just wasn't a good fit. Uh, even my uh, uh, my alma mater, NC State, uh, offered me the job after Wally Osley had retired, and uh, it was it was kind of a uh, backdoor offer because they didn't want to get it out in public that they were offering me, and and uh, the man that uh, that actually talked to me I had known for a while, and I said, you know. That's very flattering, and I would and under any other circumstance, I probably would take it in a heartbeat. But, you know, I'd been with Duke about 15, 17 years at that time. I said, I don't think, number one, I know that the Duke people wouldn't appreciate it if I left them to go to NC State. <laughs> and number two, I don't think the state fans would accept me because, you know, I'm branded as a Dukey. Sure. And he said, you know, you're exactly right. And he said, I appreciate you being honest with me. So... That one, you know, went by the boards, which I really, you know, I think I could have done a good job for him, but I don't know whether I would have been as happy there as I am in Durham. And uh, so that's that's kind of the way it went. And, you know, the couple of other jobs, I think they were just feelers. There was nothing, you know, uh, hard uh, offer made. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think everybody realized then after a certain point that I was at Duke and I was Duke and that was it. A lot of people ask me, so what year did you graduate at Duke? I said, look, I couldn't get into Duke University on a bus pass. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, what's K like to work with? Um, and and this, I, I feel like this will be a shallow question because it always goes deeper than that. And I know you guys have obviously gone on to become really good friends uh, over the years. But how has he made you a better broadcaster in some senses, uh, interviewing him and talking with him and, and being able to pick his brain and his knowledge from, from all he knows and all he's seen? I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I have learned so much from Mike um, because of his experience, number one, and uh, – you know, just uh, just his makeup. I mean, you know, here's a here's a guy who came from the uh, the Polish section of Chicago and uh, got an appointment to the uh, the military academy and graduated. Went through his uh, requirements with uh, with the army and then got into coaching and has now Tom Butters took a chance on on Mike when he hired him from Army. And some people said, you're crazy. The guy hasn't got any experience. You know, he's you know been in that league up there and not in the ACC and yada, yada, yada. I think he has made believers out of those people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, after the uh, after my, the, the last game in, in Cameron, um, I did the uh, daily show with him that we do uh, each day. And uh, 
he made a, a couple of really nice compliments for me and uh, talked about, you know, my career and what I had done for the university and, and our relationship. And I think that's what makes makes it go so well. Um, I never will forget um, his third year and uh, a group of the uh, big donors, the Iron Dukes, uh, formed a little club called the, <laughs> let's see, it was the uh, Concerned Iron Dukes. <laughs> okay. And they wanted to get rid of Mike because he had had a couple of tough years. And uh, I went out, I was out there to interview him one day. And after we finished up, I was wrapping up my equipment. And he looked over at me and he, and he had tears in his eyes. Mm. He said, Bob, they'll just give me a chance. I know we can make this work. I said, yeah, we could have, you know, if we'd played some zone, we could have probably won a couple of more games in this last couple of years. But I, that would have defeated my purpose. I am building a program, not winning games each year, but a program that's going to stand. And I kind of looked down and, and this thing, and, and I looked back up, and he looked to me and he said, if they'll just give me the time. Chin quivering, eyes watering. And uh, after the championship game in 91 in Indianapolis, I was interviewing him again for the radio next day. And uh, when I got through, he leaned back in his chair against the wall and put his arms, interlocked his fingers behind his head, closed his eyes. And I said, Mike, I'm so glad they gave you the time. He looked at me, and his eyes popped open, and he said, you remember that? I said, I'll never forget it, Mike, because I think that was the defining moment in our relationship. He said, I do too. And then um, after the uh, after the final home game the other night, um, he talked. One of the We taped two daily shows. One of them, of course, was about the, the win over Florida State, but the other was talking about me and uh, our relationship and being family. And he has, he has said many, many times in public and in private, you know, Bob's like a member of our family. We consider him that. And, uh, you know, for a guy like, like Mike Krzyzewski, who has all the credibility and all the notoriety that anybody in college athletics, I think, has ever had, uh, to say something like that, that really that really goes a long, long way and uh, just just makes me feel so, so good. That's incredible. And, I, I mean, I you, you get to – you see a side of him that nobody gets to see on the outside too. Um, yeah, so absolutely. So it's a, it's a totally different picture of of, uh, of the person that we see as the guy on the sidelines, and, and that's, I think, mm-hmm. part of the, the specialty of what we do professionally. But uh, from your standpoint too, uh, I mean, you guys both kind of came up together at Duke in a lot of senses, right? Yeah, we did. I mean, I worked five years with Bill Foster. He was the head coach there when I came in 75, 76. And uh, I learned a lot from Bill about the college game and about how to, uh, you know, to, to do things uh, in the college world. And then uh, Mike came in, and it just it just elevated from there. And he has been a big help without knowing it, but he has been a big help to my career. And... Um, and there's no way I could ever repay him, nor Bill Foster, uh, who passed away not long ago. And, uh, you know, to have had two uh, 
two coaches like that to work with, it's just, uh, it's been unbelievable. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I've worked with nine head football coaches and 123 assistant coaches in my <laughs> 41 years. But, you know, the basketball program has not had the success that the, I mean, the football program hasn't had the success that the basketball program has. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I went through one 0 and 12 season, a couple of 0 and 11s, and a bunch of 1 and 2 win seasons. People used to ask, how in the world do you make it interesting and, and keep the enthusiasm up? I said, look, it's not about me. It's not about the game outcome. It's about those kids and those coaches. I said, I go to practice. I see how hard both groups work. Maybe they don't have the talent that our opponents have, but they're out there busting their guts every Saturday to try to win a football game. And, um, you know, I, I, I have an empathy for them, but I also have a friendship with them, and there's no, no way in the world I'm going to downgrade any of our athletes or coaches. I said, you know, I don't want them doing it to me, so I'm not going to do it to them. <laughs> you, know, you have to uh, you have to understand where the things are uh, in the big picture, and I think that's uh, that's the best thing that you can do is is look at it for what it is, and uh, not for what fans or uh, media people think it is. What do you talk about if you're if you're zero and ten, and it's game number eleven, and things, and you're down by thirty, um, how do you how do you pitch that the right way? Because there there's the fine line of walking of uh, understanding the hard work that they've put in, but at the same point, I'm sure you've got the fan out there who's sitting there and going, "Well, Bob's just blowing smoke today." Um, how do you how do you satisfy both sides of that coin? I don't know whether you can or not. The person that's saying he's blowing smoke uh, probably is not a true fan. Fair enough. Um, that's he's the disgruntled a disgruntled um, fan, yeah. A, a, a hanger on. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when they're winning, he's right there cheering everybody and making like he's been with them all the time. When in fact he has not. Yeah. And I've known several instances of that, and I, I can't stand that. Um, I just, I, you know, if you're going to be a Duke fan, then be a Duke fan. Darn it! Don't be a <laughs> a warm weather, a warm weather fan. Fair enough. That's just not uh, not what you're supposed to be. If if you claim the blue and white, then you better be true blue and white, uh, and not just uh, when it uh, kind of fits what you think it should be. I want to ask you about the shot, and in particular okay. the play-by-play of the shot. Bobby Hurley up the floor with Leitner. They throw it the left of the floor. Leitner catches, comes down, dribbles, shoots, scores. Christian Leitner has hit the bucket at the buzzer. The Blue Devils win it, 104 to 103. Look out, Minneapolis! Here come the Blue Devils. When you listen back to it, uh, what'd you think about how you called it and uh, and how it came out? I still get goosebumps every time I hear it. And uh, you know, people have said, "Well, how did you rehearse that, or you know, <laughs> you know, get ready to do that?" I said, "You can't." There's no way you can plan for something like that. Uh, the only thing that I had that helped me, I think, was the fact that when they broke the huddle to come back out on the floor, I looked to see where each one of the players was going. Where's Grant? Grant Hill is at the end line. He's going to make the inbounds play. Where's Bobby Hurley? He's at midcourt. He's going to be the outlet. Where's Christian? Christian's in the far corner. I had a flashback for about of about uh, three to four weeks before that. We had played at Wake Forest, and we were on the floor 
uh, side court uh, for that game. And um, Christian was in the corner, and he came up the sidelines, caught the pass from Grant, which was kind of a curveball, which kept him against the uh, the sideline. He was right in front of me. And as he turned to make the shot, his heel was on the sidelines. We lost the game. And I think, you know, they're going to run that same play again, I'll bet. So, you know, I made sure that I knew where everybody was, and the rest, as they say, is history. And uh, I have no idea where I got what I said, but somebody said, well, how did you uh, – they said there's a question mark in when you said dribbles. I said, yeah, I'm thinking shoot the darn ball. What are you <laughs> dribbling for? <laughs> but he did that to get the defender away from him. And instead of putting anybody on the ball – uh, they didn't do it. Patino didn't do it, and he didn't. He had two guys there. One of them was supposed to be fronting uh, Christian. The other behind him. They didn't do that either. Both of them were behind him, so he really had a, an open look at the ball coming to him, and then to make that dribble with his back to the uh, to the defender, and then just to go up and shoot it, and that made him ten out of ten from the field. He was already ten out of ten from the free throw line for that ball game. It was an unbelievable game. Do you, the ever. do you remember, like, when you're holding score, like, are you, yeah. are you having, like, an out-of-body experience? Like, what are you, what's going on to you physically <laughs> as that's all happening uh, and, and, you know, and living I, in the I, moment? I, that's it, living in the moment. That's the only way I can explain it because, you know, there's, there's nothing else uh, that I'm thinking about. And, you know, and I said, you know, look out, Minneapolis, here come the Blue Devils. Don't know where that came from, but just right out of the right out of the blue, there it was. We were. Uh, it's a good thing you picked the right, the right city. That would have. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I uh, were invited to the base uh, baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown. Uh, Enos Slaughter was a good friend of ours, and uh, he got us some tickets and uh, things for that. And after we finished with that, we decided to drive over into the New England states because my wife had never been uh, over in there, so. We got uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, in the edge of uh, uh, Maine, and then came back down through uh, through Connecticut and Rhode Island. But um, we stopped at the uh, basketball museum there in, uh, um, in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, Springfield. And uh, we were walking through, looking at all the displays, and all of a sudden, I heard my voice. And we went to where it was coming out, and it was, you know, the the voice and the over the shot over the, the uh, video of it, and uh, I looked at my wife and I said, well, I'll never be here, but at least my voice got here. That's cool. And uh, that's about the, the best I can do. But uh, it has, you know, gotten me more notoriety than anything I could have ever attempted to purchase. I told, uh, so there's a station, a sports station up in Minneapolis, and, you know, being they hosted a lot of uh, regionals and a couple of final fours, which we won. Um, I got to know the guys that did the, the from the sports station up there. And uh, when they would call me to do the interview, they would start it out by playing the call. And this one particular day when it finished, I said, have you guys worn that thing out yet? <laughs> and the guy laughed. He said, this is the third dubbing of it. We got to make another. This was about to wear out. too." <laughs> but he said, you know, uh, we have done some research. And for everything that we can find, that is the second most recognizable radio call in sports history, not just basketball. Wow. 
And he said, do you know what the first one is? I said, well, it's probably Havlicek stole the ball, Johnny Most. He said, you're exactly right. And I'm thinking, gum to be put in, in that kind wow. of category is, is unbelievable. But uh, there again, you know, it's not something that you rehearse, that you plan for. You just see it and talk it and let it go. I want to ask you two more questions. You've been more than generous sure. with your time, so I don't want to take too much more of it. Um, but I'll ask them uh, simultaneously. Uh, number one is, uh, are you going to miss it? Um, and number two, uh, any like second thoughts now that you're at the end of the road that, you know what, maybe we'll, maybe we'll hang on for another year. I kind of like doing this. <laughs> no, there's no second thoughts. And um, I thought I handled the, uh, the last home game uh, very well. I didn't lose my composure. Um, the, uh, the guys that work with me uh, were a little bit uh, nostalgic as well. And uh, my daughter and, and son-in-law were up there in the booth with me. And uh, she was standing right behind me with her arm on my shoulder. And I think that probably helped a whole lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, second thoughts, no, not at all. Um, since I kind of got solidified at Duke, I always said that I wanted to go out on my terms. I wanted to be like Jim Brown and not Willie Mays. I thought Willie stayed four or five years too long, but, uh, Jim went out at his height of ability, popularity, the whole nine yards. I wanted to do that. And, uh, no, no second thoughts. As far as, you know, like they'll always say, don't look back, and I'm not. Will you miss it, though? Yeah, I'll miss it. Yeah, sure. You know, you don't do something for, well, counting the years in Albemarle for 50 years. Yeah. That's all I've known is running my mouth and getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to try not to whoever they get for the, for the job um, or jobs if they decided to go another way. Because, you know, a lot of schools now are going with one guy for uh, football and one guy for basketball instead of – because with the overlap, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The only, I, I've only missed three games in basketball that were not related to overlap of football and basketball. And uh, I was sick twice, and my dad died the night before – one of the games that we were at Northwestern and I got a phone call after I got back from eating dinner. But, um, you know, you just, uh, I don't know how to, how to really put it, but, uh, you, you know what you want to do, you know, what, uh, things you need to do to make it go. And that's what I've tried to do. And, uh, I want people to remember me at my best and not, you know, coming back to try to hang on another year or two years or whatever. There have been too many guys that uh, that I thought probably should have retired before they did, but uh, sometimes you just you think, I can, I can get another year. I can get one more year out of this or whatever, and uh, a lot of times it doesn't work. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with, with where I am right now, and uh, I know it'll be uh, – It'll be nostalgic uh, when the final game comes, whenever that might be. I hope it's uh, maybe, oh, let's see, nine, ten games from now. But uh, (laughs) that's that's adding up a lot of uh, ifs and and things like that. But uh, you never know. 
I mean, I've uh, I've seen some Duke teams that I didn't think had a chance to go to the Final Four, but doggone if they didn't win it. Yeah. And sometimes it's not always the very best team that wins it. Uh, so we'll see how that, that all works out. But, you know, whatever, uh, however it works out, uh, I'll be satisfied with, uh, with the way things have gone for me. That is Bob Harris joining us here on the pod. And if I can go back to the points that we made in the open, I love the stuff about the shot. The preparation meeting the opportunity that Bob Harris had – basically had kind of the mental note of having seen a similar situation earlier in the season and kind of having a gut feeling of where that ball was going to go and how things were going to unfold. You go to enough practices, you pay enough attention uh, over the course of a season, and you can kind of figure things out sometimes. And maybe it doesn't necessarily happen that way. You know, Maybe it doesn't go the way that you expected to. But at least you've got the nugget in the back of your brain so that when something like that does happen, obviously you're caught off guard. It was one of the most miraculous plays in college basketball history. But as a broadcaster, you're prepared for it. And I thought that was really cool. The other thing that I thought was super cool, and we talked about this in the lead-in as well, is when you walk into a museum, particularly the Basketball Hall of Fame, and you hear your voice. And... I think that's all we can ask for as broadcasters, isn't it? Uh, there's a lot you can ask for. You know, people, it's neat to be the voice that is associated with a team. It's neat to be the voice that's associated with a community, uh, that people identify you if you're the voice of a team. They identify you as part of that. You know, Bob even mentioned people growing up that have only ever heard his voice called Duke Athletics. And, and that will be a weird change for whoever uh, fills Bob's shoes next year. There's so many people that associate Bob Harris-Duke, Bob Harris-Duke, Bob Harris-Duke. Obviously, you can hope for that as a broadcaster. Um, But I think that all kind of gets bundled into the idea of just being remembered. Uh, Everybody wants to be remembered in life, in whatever they do, in society, in some way. On a grand stage or on a very micro stage. Uh, Everybody wants to be remembered in some fashion. And when you walk into the Naismith Hall of Fame, and hear your own voice really unexpectedly. I don't think Bob was walking into the Hall of Fame that day when he told the story expecting to hear his voice in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of neat just to know that basketball fans, and a lot a lot of times kids, let's be honest, a lot of those interactive exhibits, I mean, the first time I went to the Basketball Hall of Fame, I was a little kid, and I lived in Massachusetts, and the only stuff that mattered to me was the interactive stuff. I didn't care about the placards and the nameplates and all that stuff. Uh, I just wanted to press buttons and shoot hoops and hear stuff and all that jazz. Uh, That your voice gets played for all of those people. It's kind of really surreal and neat. Um, And it was cool to to hear Bob kind of reflect on that. It was cool to have him on the podcast in general, if I I can be totally honest as well. Uh, Bob doesn't know me from Adam. Uh, Our first interaction was doing this podcast. So... Uh, my appreciation to him for spending some time with us and, and talking about his career and talking about uh, what he has been able to do and a little bit of Duke and a little bit of history as well and do it with us uh, the morning after his final broadcast at Cameron Indoor, which I just think is a really neat side note to this episode of when we taped it uh, in terms of the, the historical timeline <laughs> in the career of Bob Harris. 
Uh, as always, make sure to find us on social media. If you enjoy the podcast, you can hit us up at PXPCast. Uh, you can talk about us with the hashtag PXPCast. You can find me on social media. I am at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. If you enjoy the product, uh, please do go ahead, share it on social media, retweet us on social media, tell a friend, tweet about it, whatever it is. Uh, to those of you that tweeted some of your March Madness uh, conference tournament pictures to us last week, uh, that was cool just to see some different stuff. And Bill Spaulding shooting us uh, a shot from the first ever Ivy League championship was really neat. Uh, so thanks to him and thanks to everybody else uh, who got involved on that. Uh, appreciate the interaction on social media and uh, look forward to the, the continued support from all of you guys. Uh, thanks to those that, that gave us some stars, uh, ratings and reviews last week as well. Notice there were a couple more of those. So uh, helps the podcast continue to grow. Much appreciation. Uh, that'll do it, though, for this episode. We are back next week with a continued college basketball March Madness flair. Tom Wormy is our guest, and we'll talk about uh, his work on the team streams in the last couple of Final Fours, and we will talk about One Tree Hill. That will make more sense next week, but we'll leave it on that note. Many thanks to Bob Harris. This is PXPCast. We are out. Till next week. See ya.